0: Hello, and welcome to the Brutal Iron Gym Podcast, where our goal is to cut through the BS and deliver the brutal truth about topics related to health and happiness. Today's podcast, number 1,893. The topic is training, and the title is Methods to Increase Mind-Muscle Connection. One of my clients is a trainer, and they said that their clients were, uh, in variable ways, Some clients were saying they couldn't quite feel certain muscles being worked. Another client actually outright asked how they could build mind-muscle connection. So my client brought that up in one of our recent talks and asked if I had any advice on how to increase mind-muscle connection. Now, mind-muscle connection is essentially if I'm doing an exercise for a targeted muscle. Say I'm doing a back exercise. But I don't feel my back. (laughs) I feel my biceps. Maybe I feel my grip giving out i just don't feel my back actually doing the work um that can definitely be confusing that can lead to doubt as to whether you're doing everything correctly or not and it can be frustrating because if you don't feel it working the way that you would expect uh you're going to feel defeated and then you might quit or be less excited to look work out or less motivated to work out so this is definitely something we want to address if we're personally struggling struggling with this or one of our clients are struggling with this so i wanted to share five tips that i've used in various ways and various times to help people with mind muscle connection one method is isolation before compounds and what this means is if somebody says you know oh i know like dumbbell chest press is supposed to be for my chest, but I don't really feel it in my chest. They would feel it mostly in like their arms being fatigued, their shoulders being fatigued. They just don't feel it in their chest. Well, you could do an isolation exercise for the chest before the dumbbell presses. And I would actually superset these. So I would do one exercise directly into the other exercise, not all the sets of the chest like for example i do a chip machine chest fly or dumbbell chest fly i would do a set of the flies then a set of presses then back to a set of flies back to a set of presses i would go back and forth i wouldn't do all the flies and then all the presses so this is a superset pre-exhaust now what that means how that looks like is when we're doing the first exercise the isolation we're not Looking to annihilate the muscle, we want to look to stimulate and feel the muscle. Since it's an isolation exercise, we're going to have a better chance of doing that. But since it's an isolation exercise, it's not going to be very heavy. So then when we go into the compound movement, it helps us create more stress because we can use heavier weight loads. However, since there are other muscles getting involved, we might not feel that target muscle as much. So there's pros and cons with both movements. So if we do both, we get both the pros. And the cons kind of cancel each other out. So an example of this is in uh, Brutal Iron Gym, we had a free motion cable chest machine that you could use for chest flies. And then about 20 feet away was a set of dumbbells. So it worked out really well that I could have clients do chest flies, get up, walk over. We take about 30 to 60 seconds in the transition, and then they do dumbbell chest presses. The flies, we are looking for good form and stopping one to two reps short of like any kind of technique breakdown. So you're going to like an an 80 to 90% intensity. It's not all out, not the most you could do. You're stopping one to two reps short, but it's enough that the chest could had to do some of the work right it had to do 80 90 percent of the work but it's enough to start to feel the chest get a stretch in the chest gets a blood flow in the chest and then when you go do the presses the chest is sensitized from the first movement and you have a better chance of feeling it in the second movement a, a, a horrible analogy but funny is if I punched you in the shoulder and then had you do lateral raises, whichever shoulder I punched you in, you're probably still going to feel that way you're doing lateral raises. <laughs> we don't want to like punch anybody, but the first exercise is that like punch to the muscle. It's a, it's a hard stimulus into the muscle that's isolated to just that muscle. So then when you go do the bigger movement, you're still going to feel just that muscle. Now, you may have to practice that a little bit And maybe do it three, four weeks in a row. I like to do programs four weeks in a row for clients where I have the same workouts four weeks. It gives them the first week to learn it, the second week to solidify that they learned it, the third and fourth week they can really push for progressions, and then we move on. So that way we don't uh, get injured or try to break down a technique trying to just squeeze out an extra rep or five extra pounds. So I like four-week progressions. And what I'll have a client do is we would practice this the first week, have absolutely no concern whether they can feel it or not the first week. We just want to know that it makes sense, that they're doing everything right. And then the second week, like obviously the first week we'd love it if they could feel it, but it's okay if they don't. The second week we would want to start to feel it because now that we're a little familiar with what's going on, we can add a little bit of weight challenge ourselves a little bit more, and now all of a sudden we can start to feel it more. The third and fourth week, we're definitely going to be able to feel it because now our body has a better idea of what's happening, what's going on. So that's what we're looking for with the isolation before compound superset is I want to isolate the singular muscle that I want to improve my mind-muscle connection with. And do that in an isolation exercise before I would do a compound exercise. So that way I can increase the weight load and get the muscle damage I want. But I did the first movement to sensitize the targeted muscle. Okay, The second tip we have is to use tempo control. So slowed tempo. Let's say, for example, you're doing um, lat pulldowns and you're having a hard time. Uh, well, actually, let's go cable seated row. That's a good one cable-seated row, and you're having a hard time feeling your back. As you're pulling the handle towards you to get a back contraction, pull with a three count, and then you're going to hold the contraction for like a half a second, and then you're going to release and extend for a three count. So you're going to start with the handle away from you, start pulling it towards you at one, two, three, and then you're at a full contraction, and now start to release it at one, two, three three that's one rep so the slower the tempo and i've even done five counts before well you can take forever if you want but forcing a slower tempo means that the muscles have to be more in control throughout the entirety of the range of motion it's not like an initial contraction then there's momentum taking over in the middle of the range uh, of motion. We want to have controlled speed in the entire range of motion so that way the muscle has to do the work throughout the entire range of motion. So tempo control is very good. One example is I'll have clients do three to five reps at, at a five count, three to five reps at a three count, then three to five reps at a normal count. So let's say we're doing three reps of each section. So the first rep. They're going to do a five-count contraction, five-count eccentric. So one, two, three, four, five. Contracted. Now extend. One, two, three, four, five. Fully extended. That's one rep. They would come back for another. One, two, three, four, five. They're fully contracted. Now they're going to start to extend. one two, three, four, five. They're gonna do that for three. Now that's gonna start to burn out because that's a lot of control. But instead of quitting the set, we now go a little faster, we go to three counts. So one, two, three, fully contracted. Now release it, one, two, three. We'll do that for three reps. And then again, instead of just stopping, we go back to a regular speed, which might be like a one, two, contract, one, two, extend. One, two, contract. One, two, extend. So we would do three reps with a five count, three with a three, and three with a normal speed, which you can count as like a one or a two count. But that slow tempo allows us at the beginning of this set to feel the muscle contracting and controlling the weight through the entirety of the range of motion. Then as we speed up the tempo, that allows us to just get more total volume in, which increases the amount of muscle damage that we're able to create. So we're not letting that slow tempo limit us in weight load to where we're not even getting you know a decent amount of muscle damage. So it's like, okay, yeah, I can feel my muscle contract, but I'm contracting against five pounds and who cares? That's not going to cause any damage. So if we do variable tempos, that allows us to mix in the control with heavy enough weight to get the muscle damage that we're looking for. The third tip we have is to perform extended isometrics at the peak contraction. This would be a good one for lat pulldowns. So, as you pull the bar down to your, like, wherever your bottom position is, it kind of depends on uh, people's, like, arm lengths and whatnot, but you're going to pull it down to what you believe is a full back contraction. And then hold that for five to ten count. So you're gonna come down and contract and squeeze and hold one, two, three, four, five. And then you'll go ahead and let it release. Then you come back down with a contraction and you hold the contraction. One, two, three, four, five. So if you're doing it this way, where we're not doing a slow tempo in the eccentric and concentric, the extension and contraction, but we're doing an extended time under the isometric hold, which is a peak contraction hold, that's going to increase the amount of weight load that you can use, so this push is actually a little more muscle damage. You're not going to get as much mind-muscle connection as you would with a slow tempo, but you're still going to get some. But this blends in heavier weight load while trying to get in that mind-muscle connection concept. So these would be great techniques to play with or progress to. So maybe the first four weeks of a program you do slow tempo, the next four weeks you do isometrics, and then the, le- the fourth tip is overloaded eccentrics, and maybe you'll do that for four weeks. So the isometrics, the hold at the peak contraction, helps you, because if you pull, like a pull down, if you pull it down with your biceps, but you have to hold at the bottom, You can then play with, oh, okay, let me flex my back harder. And now all of a sudden you can feel your back holding more of the weight than your biceps holding the weight. Sometimes in order to complete the contraction, we use a mixture of muscles available that it doesn't highlight the targeted muscle. So when you hold that isometric contraction, your body can then find the muscle that's supposed to be holding the weight. And then you get the eccentric, the extension, while that muscle is under full control. So, it's a way to improve the eccentric portion of the movement and get damage trying to hold the isometric. So you get the two components of the repetition perfect in the exact muscle you want. So isometrics is a great option. The fourth option we have is overloaded eccentrics. And this is essentially, we do a, a, an assisted contraction or a cheated contraction and you just do whatever the hell you have to do to get to the contraction, and then you over like you do it with a really heavy, heavy weight. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger did this with cheat curls, and this was a way for him to build his biceps. I'm not a big fan of doing that if you're unless you're an advanced lifter. So I'm not saying that as a suggestion for you to do it, but saying that people do this. <laughs> so an overloaded eccentric, for example, might be you know ladder raises. Uh, you might use a little bit of leg drive to kind of throw the weight up to the top of a lateral race like out to your sides and then you're going to try to slowly lower that weight down. You're going to try to control that weight down. So Arnold did it with uh, bicep curls so he would push his hips forward a little bit as he would curl and throw his shoulders back a little bit. And that would cheat the the weight up to the top. And then he would upright his body. He would would bring his hips more underneath him. He would bring his chest forward. And then he would lower the the bar down under that harder position in order to get the eccentric to feel even heavier. Another way of doing this would be is if we think of the concept of if I'm trying to barbell bench press And maybe the most I can bench is 225. Well, how about I put 235 on. I have a training partner or a trainer. And I unrack the bar. I try to slowly lower that down. Maybe it takes three to five seconds and I can lower it to my chest. And then the trainer or the partner helps lift it back up to the top. So it's a partner-assisted repetition. Now, I've done this on cable seated rows with clients all the time. It's a fantastic technique. Is Maybe for a typical set of 10 reps, maybe they can do cable seated rows at 150 pounds. Well, we might put on 180 or 200, and I will help them pull the cable, the handle, to a peaked contraction, and then they're going to slowly extend for like 5 to 10 seconds. Once they're at full extension, I'll grab the cable or the handle, pull them back into the contraction position again, and then we do that slow decentric again. So the Slow to uh, we will typically do multiple repetitions, not a single repetition, because that really increases the injury potential. Uh, so you want to do multiple repetitions. I typically would do three to five reps. Now sometimes you, you vary from that in case by case basis, but typically three to five overloaded eccentrics, where you get you cheat the contraction with leg drive or body English, or you get a training partner or a trainer or someone to help. Uh, weight releasers if you don't know what those are you can pause the podcast and search for them bench press weight releasers they're an apparatus that you can put on a barbell that makes the the lowering portion and you can actually get them extended to use for squats as well but they make the lowering portion of the bench press and the squat heavier And then the weight falls off in a controlled manner at the very bottom, and then you can lift back up with a reduced weight load. So weight releasers are a method that you can use to self-assist for overloaded eccentrics. It's so common, uh, or I mean it's such a good technique, that companies make a product to help you do this. And then the fifth tip we have is just to train on back-to-back days. Uh, kind of a you know like lazy cheat code, but if I want to feel my arms more or feel my chest more, I'm just going to train my chest on back-to-back days. <laughs> Training a sore muscle will make you feel that muscle more. Now you do have to like, select easier exercises, lighter weight loads. You have to do it in a safe manner. But training on back-to-back days can help you increase mind-muscle connection because essentially you're training a sore muscle. That's going to make you much more aware of what that muscle is doing or not doing in that second workout. Again, just select exercises that are easier, more isolative movements, select higher time and tension, lighter weight loads, kind of work on like more of a pump feel to that workout rather than anything heavy. You might do heavy in the first workout, more of a pump style workout in the second workout. So I've done that before for people and it works really well. So those are five tips on how you can increase mind-muscle connection. is Use isolations before compounds, do slowed tempo repetitions, do paused isometrics at the peak contraction, use overloaded eccentrics, and train on back-to-back days. Awesome. Okay, well, if you have any questions or you need anything, just shoot me an email at brutalironjim at gmail.com. If you like the podcast, please share the podcast. If you like the podcast, please consider donating to support the podcast, which you can do on our website. Also, if you like the information we share in the podcast, you can find more from us on our social media channels. You can find us and follow us on Instagram and YouTube under the name Brutal Iron Jim. As always, I hope this was helpful, and thank you for listening.